out of here. Um, I don't know, Steve. Go, uh, if anybody needs a Bible, just uh, Bible. If anybody needs a Bible to follow along, just raise a hand. Uh, that's good singing this morning. God leads us along. Uh, aren't you glad God led you out that he might lead you in? I'm, uh, I'm thankful that God saved my soul some years ago. Anybody glad they're saved here today? I'm glad I'm saved. And uh, if you're a visitor, or you're new to our church, uh, we keep it real plain. We keep it Bible fashion, not old fashioned, Bible fashion. And uh, we just, we're going to get to our preaching time now. And it is really the most important part of everything we do is when we open up the Bible and see what God has to say. Not what I have to say or what our guys have to say or our ladies have to say, but what God has to say. And because uh, he's the one that saved us. He's the one that loved us. He's the one that did all these things for us. And we're really here because of him. We're here for him and we're here because of him. And we would like together to bring him some pleasure, to bring him some glory. So um, I want to say hello to, I missed it before, Amy and, your do- and Zarina, right? They got it? I want to say hello to you, right? And Pete met somebody a week or so ago. Is it Andrea, right? Andrea, and this is your family right here? Amen. Nice to meet you, my brother. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. And just make yourself at home and uh, tell me when, Josh. Good. If you have a Bible or you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of John. Uh, we're going to be, we've been going through the book of John. We just kind of look at a lot of verses, turn to a lot of verses. Uh, we want to see what the Bible has to say. John chapter 12 down there. John chapter 12. The sign says first Bible church because we really try to make the Bible first. Um, no religion, no frills. Um, just, just as close as we can get to this Bible. Um, and uh, let me take a sip here. If you're at John 12, please say amen. amen. If you want to say it a little louder, say it one more time. Amen. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, the number three, or I'm from, you know, I'm from New York. Uh, the number three, however you want to say it, right? The number three is a very important number in the Bible. Uh, it's a number of, of, of revelation. Uh, I really like to think of the number three as, as, as God's fingerprint, really, in the Bible. and Because uh, it's really the number of, of the Godhead, right? It's that number of the Trinity. Uh, it's the number of the Father, uh, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So, so the number three is really God's number. And uh, according to Romans chapter one, everything that God made has God's fingerprint, which is the number three, written all over it. Let's take time, right? Time has three aspects. Past, present, future. Three. Uh, How about space? Space has three dimensions, right? Length, width, and depth. Uh, how about matter? I got my chemistry teacher in the background. I got to watch what I say here. She's going to accuse me of being dense and then tell me it's mass over volume. But um, matter is solid, liquid, gas. It appears in three forms. Even you, even you as a human being, even man himself or herself is a tripartite person. You're a trinity. There's three parts to you, just like God, because you were made originally in the image of God. You've got a spirit, 
That's how you can communicate with God. You've got a soul. That means you're conscious of self. You've got a personality and a consciousness. You're not just a bump on a log, no matter what your parents say. And you have a body, spirit, soul, and body. And you know what? You've got to have all three things to have a whole thing. Even the Savior's full name, right? If we talk about Jesus Christ's full name, sometimes we call him Jesus, sometimes we call him Christ, sometimes we call him Lord, but his full name is Lord Jesus Christ. Three parts. Lord, that's pointing to the Father. Uh, Jesus, that's the name of the man, the Son. Christ, that's pointed to the anointed one, the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus Christ's name has got the Trinity in it. And that number three really completes a thing. It really brings the whole thing together. And in John chapter 12, I say all that to kind of set you up for verse 27. The Lord says, the Bible says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not Because of me, but for your sakes. I want to tell you, this is the third time that God speaks from heaven in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. It's the third time. It's three. At the first time was at his baptism at the River Jordan. The second time was at his transfiguration on the mount. And the third and final time is right here upon his entry into Jerusalem. You know what? If three is a big deal in the Bible and three is God's number and three is how God's trying to reveal things to us and to you and to me, when I see something happen like this, I got to ask myself, what is God trying to show me? What is God trying to reveal? What is this three supposed to be pointing me to? And what are we supposed to hear when a voice speaks from heaven? That's what I want to talk to you about today. A voice from heaven. God only spoke three times from heaven when Jesus Christ was down here on the earth. What was he trying to show us about Jesus Christ that we're all supposed to notice? What was he revealing about his son that we were supposed to take note of? I hope you want to learn a little bit more about your Savior. And if he's not your Savior, make him your Savior today. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We bless you today. We just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would uh, guide our steps, guide our walk, guide uh, guide my lips. Lord, help me to do this for you, Lord. Help me to preach as the, the, the ability you give and just to bring you some praise, Lord, to lift your son up high and just magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Save us from religion. Save us from lethargy. Save us from just going through the motions, Lord, and help us speak to us, Lord. Out of your word, Father, please, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is uh, right in the beginning of your New Testament there. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, please. Matthew chapter 3. All right? We're just going to look at the three times that God speaks from heaven during Jesus Christ's earthly ministry and figure out together 
What is God trying to show us? What's he trying to reveal to us? What are his fingerprints trying to point us to in these different accounts? And in uh, Matthew chapter 3, I want to show you that God spoke from heaven the first time at Christ's baptism. Okay? God spoke from heaven the first time at Christ's baptism. Look at Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 1. The Bible says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So way back in the book of Isaiah, God predicted and God foretold that that this prophet was going to show up and announce Jesus Christ to the nation. And if you've studied the book of Isaiah at all, the book of Isaiah is like a mini Bible. It's like a microcosm or a miniature Bible. The chapters all line up with the whole Bible. It's amazing that the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah talks about a voice crying in the wilderness that was going to be John the Baptist. And then you get to the 40th book of your Bible, the book of Matthew, and you know what you get? You get John the Baptist showing up, talking about a voice in the wilderness, pointing out Jesus Christ. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, because I'm sure the Bible was just written by dumb shepherds in the Middle East. I keep hearing that all the time, but every time I search the Bible, it seems to be guided by a hand that's over the whole thing and seems to know everything, because it was given by inspiration of God, in case you were wondering, or as I like to jokingly say, it's like God really did write the Bible. But anyway, I want you to notice in verse 11, this voice shows up and John the Baptist is talking in verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist is saying, somebody's coming. The Messiah's coming. He's coming to judge us. He's coming for the nation. You got to remember, I know your Bible says New Testament when you get to the book of Matthew. But it isn't the New Testament as far as God is concerned. Because in the book of Matthew, they're still waiting for the Messiah to show up. And John the Baptist is just standing there. He's going, hey guys, hey guys, it's not me. Somebody's coming that I can't even tie his shoes. Amen? I can't even tie his shoes. And Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man born of women up until that point. And the greatest man born of women up until that point says, I can't even carry the sandals of the Messiah. Right? So you say, why do you get excited, Pat? Why do you keep talking about Jesus Christ? Because he's a big, big deal. He's the biggest deal out there. He's my best friend. He's my savior. He's my guide. He's the love of my life. My wife is second, but he is first. He took me out of Egypt. He saved me from hell. I owe him everything today. And he's a blessing. He is my blessing. I hope he's your Jesus today. You know what? We can't even, we can't even tie his shoes. We can't even, you know, we think so little of the Savior sometimes. If we really saw him in truth, we'd hit the deck like John did in the book of Revelation. And you know what? 
He hasn't been revealed. So jump to verse 13. Look what happens. In 13, at 30 years old, Jesus Christ emerges from obscurity to begin his public ministry, to step out onto the stage. 13, then cometh Jesus, man, that's a message right there. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Then Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Please notice that Jesus Christ went down into the water and came up out of the water. That's how we baptize, right? By immersion, not by sprinkling. You put the person down under the water and you bring them up out of the water. That's what Jesus Christ had done to him. You say, why did Jesus Christ have to get baptized? Because everybody else coming to the River Jordan was getting baptized to confess their sins. And so John the Baptist looks at him and says, what are you doing here? You don't have any sins to confess. I'm supposed to get baptized of you. Jesus says, just, 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 just do this. We got we to gotta do this right now. This is something God wants to, to, to show me off to the nation of Israel. So Jesus Christ, he wasn't getting baptized to confess his sins. He was getting baptized to be identified as the son of God. And in a few weeks or months, Lord willing, we'll have some people get baptized, not to make them into sons of God, but we're going to follow the Lord in baptism by immersion. We're going to set up the pool. We're going to put somebody under the water and take them up out of the water. Why? To identify some people as sons of God. Baptism is about identification. Now watch what happens in verse 16. Baptism is a big deal, right? If you get baptized, it's a big deal. You bring your family, you bring your friends, you take a picture, you maybe have some food, you know, whatever you do. Well, Jesus Christ's baptism was such a big deal that the whole Godhead showed up to be there. The whole Trinity said, cross everything else off my calendar. We got to get to Jesus's baptism. And it's, I'm just going to show you. Look at verse 16. It says, and Jesus, right at the beginning, There's the Son of God manifest in the flesh. That's one. And it says at the end of the verse, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. There's the Holy Spirit manifest like a dove. That's two. And then verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. There's the Father manifest as a voice from heaven. They all showed up just for Jesus Christ's baptism. Now go to John chapter one. So Jesus Christ gets baptized. Some time passes. Jesus goes out in the wilderness after his baptism. He gets tempted of the devil. And then he shows up. He comes back. And John sees him again. And after hearing that voice from heaven, John the Baptist starts pointing out Jesus Christ. Starts identifying him to everybody around. That he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. Look at John 1.29. This is at least 40 days after Jesus has already been baptized. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's a good thing to point out to people, by the way. If you're not saved here today, I am not going to point you to a church. I'm not going to point you to me. I'm not going to point you to religion. I'm going to point you to the one who died on the cross and say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the one that will get you into heaven. He's the one that could pay for your sins. Keep going with me. 
This is he of whom I said after me, cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and in a boat upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, you got to ask yourself, how did John know that Jesus was the Messiah? How did John know? How could he be sure that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Well, It's pretty clear at his baptism, John the Baptist heard that voice. It's not clear how many other people did, but it's pretty clear that John saw the Spirit, John heard the voice, John was able to identify this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. And if you look at verse 33, based on what God had told him previously, John identified Jesus Christ as Israel's Messiah. But you know what that took on the, on the part of John? It took a little bit of faith, didn't it? Jesus hadn't done any miracles. Jesus hadn't gone to any cross. Jesus hadn't brought in any kingdom. Jesus hadn't raised anybody from the dead. Jesus hadn't opened any blind eyes. Jesus hadn't opened any deaf ears. Jesus hadn't made any lame men walk. Jesus hadn't turned any water into wine. Jesus hadn't done anything amazing that we know he did. You say, what did John have to go on? Before Jesus had done any miracles, John trusted him based on the Father's approval. You see that? The fact that God the Father would say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John said, okay, this must be the guy. That's very instructive, brethren. That's very instructive because before you see Jesus Christ do anything amazing in your life, you got to hear the Father's voice. You got to hear the Father's voice say, hey, by the way, you know the one who I like? I'm impressed with Jesus. You know who I'm pleased with? Jesus Christ. You know the one that blesses my heart? Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to get to heaven today? You know who you got to get to heaven by? The one that the Father identified as the one that satisfied the payment for sin. You want to live a victorious life today? You got to be full of the spirit of the one who satisfied the Father. The only thing that satisfied the Father is his Son. And if you want to satisfy the Father, you've got to become more and more like his Son. Before he does anything big in your life, you've got to hear that voice from heaven say, this is the one I'm pleased with. This is the one that blesses my heart. This is the one I'm impressed with. Brethren, will you trust the Son of God simply because God said so? You see, we get to be like pragmatists. We say, well, I'll do it if it works. I'll do it if it gets me the right wife or the right husband or the right job. I'll trust, I'll follow God as long as he hooks me up, you know, because one hand washes one hand and the other hand washes, and we both wash the face, right? I mean, come on, God, I'm going to church and I'm listening and you got to hook a brother up now. Come on, right? That's how, that's how, that's kind of how God, that's how we get sometimes. Right? We kind of just get like, we do things because we want to see God do something for us. But the Bible says right there that God's looking for some people that would follow him 
just because God said so. Isn't that amazing? God the Father stepped out on a limb and just said, you know what? Here's my son, Jesus Christ. I'm well pleased in him. Jesus hadn't done anything by then. He hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't done anything but be a good stepson to Joseph and work in the carpentry shop. And God the Father steps out and says, hey, here's the one. Would you trust him? Is God, let me ask you something. That's called faith. You got any faith? Or are you just trying to walk by sight? I say, well, if God pads my pocket, I'll trust him. If God gives me good health, I'll trust him. If God, you know, keeps my family together and everything's rolling great, I'll trust him. Or are you willing to trust him just because the Father said, that's who pleases me? That's a test, isn't it? Is God's vote of confidence enough for you to listen to the Savior? No, I'll listen to him. No, no ifs. Will you follow the Savior and listen to him? Because God the Father says, hey, this is the guy. This is the one. This is the one that pleases me. Is that enough, saints? Is that enough? Amen. Do I have to light myself on fire and put on some kind of show or promise you some kind of special blessing that's going to come? Or how about you just follow the Savior because God Almighty says that's the one you should follow. If nothing else, he's the one that God the Father pointed out and said, this is my beloved son. Is his vote of confidence enough for you? Would you trust him based on that? Would you love him based on that? Would you believe on him based on that? I mean, if God's voice from heaven says he's satisfied with Jesus Christ, why wouldn't you be satisfied with Jesus Christ? Why aren't you satisfied with Jesus Christ? If God says, Jesus Christ, beloved of the Father, how come he's not beloved by more of us? If God says he's first to me, why is he 43rd to you? If God says, I'm going to make time to get to his baptism, why don't you make time for him? If God the Father thinks so highly of the Son of God, why do we think so little of him sometimes? I'm thinking to myself, I think so little of some sometimes. I so lightly esteem the rock of my salvation. I think we all need to get a good look at Calvary. I think we need to get a good look at the nails and the spears and the beating and the whips and the cat nine tails and the father forgive them for they know not what they do and the beard getting ripped out and the, the soldiers mocking and the thieves jeering and the Pharisees looking on and that blessed Savior dying in such a way that even a Roman centurion would say, surely this is a righteous man. I mean, can you get impressed with Jesus Christ today? I mean, can you just get impressed because God was impressed by him? All right, can I say that again? God the Father was so impressed with his son that before his son had done any miracles, he would say, I am well pleased in you, son. Does he have to put on a song and dance for you to get your admiration and adoration? Does he have to part your Red Sea? Does he have to come down and walk across your backyard? Or can the fact that God the Father is impressed by him be enough for you to be impressed by him? Mm-mm. All right. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to myself, I guess. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at this. Deuteronomy 4. He's just, he's got to impress us, folks. He's got to impress us. And one reason to be impressed by him is because God the Father was impressed by him. God the Father was blessed by him. God the Father was satisfied by him. You think that, is there anybody higher than God? And if the highest God is impressed by the Son of God, why aren't we? 
we need to get a little more of a better look at them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where I'm going to next. This scene at the baptism is the start of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. You know what role or what office Jesus Christ was fulfilling when he walked planet earth? He was the prophet of God. That was his past ministry, a prophet. You know what a prophet was supposed to do? Not put money in your pocket. That's a different prophet. That's prophet with an F. I'm talking about prophet with a PH, right? Prophet with a PH, prophet, was the person that was there to give Israel God's words. And Jesus Christ would say time and again, I'm not telling you what I'm, my own ideas. I'm telling you what the Father told me to tell you. Why? Because Jesus Christ was that prophet, like unto Moses, that would come and give the nation the words of God so they could go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 4, if you look at verse 32, I'm going to show you Israel had heard God's voice before from heaven. Deuteronomy 4, 32. Look at this. God speaks to his nation and he says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth. And ask from the one side of heaven unto the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God? speaking out of the midst of the fire. That's talking about the burning bush, as thou hast heard and live. Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, um, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Out of heaven, here's Sinai, ready? Out of heaven, he made thee to hear his voice that he might instruct thee. And upon earth, he showed thee his great fire. And thou heardest his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before thee greater and mightier than thou art to bring thee in to give thee their land for an inheritance as it is this day. He's saying Israel had heard God's voice thunder from Mount Sinai. He's saying, guys, you are a special people. You're special to me. You're special to God. That's why God spoke from heaven to you and sent you his words so you could get and become all God wants for you and all God has for you. And look what he says in the next verse. 39. Know therefore this day. Oh, we got to know this, saints. And consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above And upon the earth beneath, there is none else. Thou shalt keep, therefore, his statutes. Why? Because he's God. Right? Keep going. Um, And his commandments, which I command thee this day. Why? That it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. He's telling the nation, hey, guys, I gave you my commandments for their good. I did this 
for your welfare. I did this so your families could be blessed, so you could get into that promised land, so you can get to that place of blessing, so you could get all God has for you. Can I tell you, people, if God could speak from heaven, he says the same thing. I've given you this Bible for your good. It says always, anytime God speaks to you, it's always to help you, to bless you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to exhort you, to rebuke you. Why? Because it makes God better? No, God is unchangeable. It's to make you better. It's to make you stronger. It's to make you wiser. It's to make you holier. It's to make you more ready for heaven and the promised land that God has in this life that he wants to bring you through. God doesn't waste words. God's not talking to hear himself speak. He's like, guys, I, in, you ever think about this? God didn't have to reveal himself to us. He could have made the stars also and gone to Tahiti and just like chilled out somewhere, right? But God chose to condescend and reveal himself through words. That's how we communicate, right? We communicate with words. I would challenge you to think anything in your mind right now that isn't manifested as a word. Blue, family, love, friends, joy, anger. They're words. We think and communicate in words. So our blessed God chose a book to reveal himself to us so he could give us his words so we can know his mind and be better, brethren, be better than we were before we read that Bible. It's about making you better. It's about making you better always. Look, go to chapter 6, verse 24. Go to chapter 6. It's so important that God sent his son to give his people their words. <laughs> Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. Again, the Bible says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Please watch these next few words. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. If God said his words were for your good, why won't you trust and obey? You know, God's not dealing with nations right now. You know who's God dealing with right now? His church. His church is the center of his program right now. God's agenda right now is to get glory out of his church, to minister through his church, to work through his church. I'm not, we're not the only one. We're a local church, but I mean his universal church. We're just a local assembly that's a part of that big church that God has had for the last 2,000 years. But that's what God's trying to speak to now. You're his special people. You're the ones that he speaks to. You're the ones that he's reaching out to. You're the ones that he's trying to minister to. You're the ones that he's pleading with. You're the ones that his son's spirit is trying to crawl out of that page of your Bible and say, hey, would you listen to me? Would you give an ear? Would you consider? Would you take heed? Would you lay this up in your heart? Would you store this up in your mind? Would you try to see it my way? Would you think yourself happy by taking my perspective, my brother? That's what he's saying right there. Listen, if you're a father, right? As a father, you want your children to listen. Why? Because you said so. Eventually, you start explaining to them. But really, in the beginning, you want them to listen because you said so, right? I remember teaching, you know, my kids to, to listen to me. And I remember we were out one time, and my daughter, she was very young. She was going to shoot out into the street. And I, whoa, I said something, stop something. And she stopped. 
because I said so, right? Because she heard the father's voice. You know what God is saying? I can't always explain to you the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, but I would like you to trust me because I said so. And I am the one who wants what's best for you. That's what the father says. You understand that? As a father in in the flesh, right? You want your children to listen to you because you said so, and you want them to trust that they that you have the best intentions at heart, right? You want your children to know that you have the best intentions at heart and that they should listen to you because, you know, daddy wants the best for me. Mommy wants the best for me. That benevolence should be there, right? God the Father says, would you listen to me? Would you listen to my son? Would you take heed to my prophet? He, I want what's best for you. I'm giving you my words for your good always. There's never a moment that the Bible is a bad idea. There is never a moment that the Bible doesn't work. There is never a moment that the Bible doesn't have the best answer to whatever problem you're facing in this life. God says, I'm trying to do good for you always. Don't listen to the voice of the serpent that says, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And how about this? And oh, you got that scary diagnosis. Oh, you feel so lonely. Oh, what about this? And what about that? The devil is always trying to sneak into your Eden and get between you and the voice of that book. Don't give that sucker the time of day. Step on him. Just step on him and keep listening to the voice of your father. That first voice from heaven says, trust Jesus Christ because the father says so. And the father wants what's best for you, brethren. Just listen to him. Take heed to him because he wants what's best. Go to uh, Luke chapter 9. Let me give you the second time. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, jump to verse 28. The second time, God spoke from heaven the second time, not at his baptism, but at Christ's transfiguration, right? When Christ is gloriously transfigured on that mount. Look at uh, where am I? Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Let's read this scene here. Let me get out of the book of John. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke 9, 28. There we go. Uh, and it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, He, meaning Jesus, took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles. Let us make us, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Can I tell you, at this second time we hear a voice from heaven, the Lord gives three disciples, just three, Peter, James, and John, 
a glimpse as to what Jesus Christ truly looks like. He gives him a glimpse of who Jesus Christ truly is. See verse 28? They see him high and lifted up, because that's where Jesus Christ is right now. He is high and lifted up. Like they saw him in that high mountain, Jesus Christ is high and lifted up even now. Number two, in verse 29 and 32, they saw him glorified with a brightness that outshines the sun like he shines in heaven even now. That's the way he looks. And you know what they see him doing in verse 29? They see Jesus Christ praying. Why? Because he's interceding for you right now with the Father. You see, he was a prophet in the past. But this mount and this scene is a picture of Jesus Christ current ministry, his present ministry. You know what he's doing right now? He's not a prophet anymore. He's our great high priest. He's up there in that heavenly mountain. You know what he's doing in glory? He's praying for us. He's interceding for you. He loves you that much. He didn't just die and leave you on your way. He's praying for God's best for you. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Go to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 17. Let me show you another glimpse of this mountain here. Let me show you how it's a picture of what Jesus Christ is doing right now. Ready? Matthew 17. He came to give you his words. He came to tell you the truth. That was the past. Now, isn't that a blessing? He's up there praying for you. Amen. Right now. Right now. If I could unzip the atmosphere and peel back the first heaven and the second heaven and go past the sea of glass and enter into the heaven of heavens, enter into God's presence, you know what I would see the Son doing? Interceding for you at the Father's right hand. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's a blessing to know. It's nice to know when someone's praying for you. I know there's a lot of prayer warriors here that maybe don't get any glory except with the Father. You know what? That's a great ministry. A prayer warrior, you've got a special ministry with the Father because Jesus Christ is a prayer warrior right now. You don't see him, and some, you don't hear him, but you've got to by faith know that he's up there talking to the Father for you. Amen. And in Matthew chapter 17 is a great picture. It says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. You see that right there? Jesus Christ is in a high mountain apart from everybody else on that mount. You know what that is? A picture of the Savior up in heaven, high, lifted up, apart from everybody else down here. Go to verse 2. And he was and was transfigured, right? His figure transformed. His face transformed before them. And his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. Man, that's another great picture. Because up there in heaven right now, if you could peel back those layers and see Jesus Christ right now, you wouldn't see him as a suffering savior. You'd see him as a glorified Lord. You'd see him shining with his glorious light. Oh, can you just see it? We like the sunshine, don't we? Right? People get sad. Seasonal affective disorder. When it's gray and cloudy and rainy. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely. Right? When it's gray for too long, people get depressed. And then... Here comes the sun. Everybody gets happy when it's sunny out. 
when it's a nice temp, like we had that men's meeting on Friday night, cool breeze, it was sun was going in, you know, it just lifts your spirit. Man, Jesus Christ shines brighter than the sun. Oh, if you could just get a look into his face, it would just change you. It would light up your world. It would lift up your heart. If you get a good look at his face, you say, why? Why did Jesus Christ get all that glory? Why did Jesus Christ get all that that illumination to outshine the sun? Well, I'll give you the answer. I'm glad you asked it. I know you were thinking it. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says this, that Jesus was for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. You know why Jesus Christ got all that glory that he outshines the sun? Because he went to hell and back for God's plan. And God said, hey, you're going to do that, son? Guess what? I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to, you're going to shine, outshine the sun. Go back to Luke 9. I'm going to show you that his death is connected with that glory. Look at Luke chapter 9. Go back there for a second. Hurry fast, fast, fast. Right? Don't get a paper cut. Right? Don't rip a page out of your Bible. You see Luke 9, verse 30 and 31? Jesus Christ's face has been transfigured. His, verse 29 says the fashion of his countenance was altered. And look in verse 30. He's talking with Moses, type of the law. He's talking with Elijah, who took type of the prophets. And what is he talking about in verse 31? What are they talking about? They're talking about his death. They saw Jesus Christ's glory as they were talking about Jesus Christ's death on that mount. That's what's connected to his glory. The fact that Jesus Christ was going to die that death. That's what brought him the glory that he has right now, folks. Look at uh, John chapter 12. Look at John chapter 12. I'm going to show you one more connection. One more connection. John chapter 12, verse number uh, 23. John 12, 23. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified when he's going to shine. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Hey, Jesus Christ himself connected his glory to his coming death. Let me challenge you. Do you? Do you glorify the Son because He died for you? Is that enough for you to praise Him? Is that enough for you to worship Him? Is that enough for you to glorify Him? It was enough for the Father. The Father said, hey, I want to give you glory, Son. Why? For the suffering of death. The fact that you laid down your life for those undeserving dirtbags. I'm going to give you glory that's going to outshine the sun. It's connected to his death. I wonder, the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, is it enough for us to lift him as high as the Father does? Is it enough for us to give a little shout once in a while, to get a little outside of our comfort zone and raise a hand or shed a tear or give a praise or say thank you, Jesus, or say praise the Lord or tell a neighbor or tell a friend, hey, what else does he have to do? Dance like a clown, you know, give you that little candy bar that you're waiting for. Is that what he's got to do? Or is it enough that he suffered and died for your wicked soul for you to say, 
praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. You know what the next part of that song says? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I hope that's enough for you. If there's anybody here that's been forgiven, can I get an amen? Amen. Anybody here that's had the weight of sin dropped off their back and washed in the blood of Jesus and had their name written in the Lamb's book of life and could say right now, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Can you say that? Then you know what goes right there? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that it was in me bless his holy name. We need to do a little bit more praising in here. We need to do a little bit more shouting. We need to do a little bit more amening, a little bit more thank you, Jesus. You know why? Because he's worthy, right? He's worthy. Don't be afraid. Your, your makeup won't crack. Mine doesn't. <laughs> right? Your teeth won't fall out, right? Uh, you, you know, you're not going to, you know what? If you start praising him more, God might show up more in your life because God inhabits the praises of his people. You're in a bad mood. Look up at the sky and just start thanking God for stuff. I tell you, that'll turn your frown upside down, but you won't do it because you like sitting in your cesspool of, of misery. I know, but if you want to get out of it for a little while and dust the stench off yourself, just go out to an open field, your backyard, and take a walk tonight when the summer is getting cooler at night and just say, Lord, thank you that I can walk. Thank you that I can breathe. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I have a Bible. Thank you that your love is never ceasing. Thank you that you set your love upon me. Thank you that your banner over me is love. Thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you that I'm going to be with you very soon, Father. Thank you that there's nothing that you can't get me through. Thank you, Lord, as far as the east is from the West. So far have you removed my transgressions from me. Thank you that nothing's going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh man, get yourself persuaded by how much he cares about you. Get rooted and grounded and just start reciting some promises and tell me, give me a call and tell me it doesn't work. Tell me it doesn't work. Like the brother preached at the men's meeting. Sometimes you got to think yourself happy. You got to plug some, you got to start thinking the right thoughts and then you start getting the right feelings, right? And can I just say this? If Jesus Christ died the death he did, it wasn't just getting shot by a firing squad or run through with a spear or taking some, you know, cyanide or something like that. No, it was the suffering of death. And if Jesus Christ died the death he did for undeserving sinners, Don't you think he deserves some glory? Don't you think he deserves some praise? Don't you think a little, you know, thank you, Jesus. Now, I I am a basketball fan. I confess my fault, right? But um, if you know anything about basketball and you mention the flu game, everybody knows the flu game. If you don't know the flu game, you don't know basketball. Because Michael Jordan, who is the GOAT, by the way, none of this LeBron stuff, get right with God, right? Michael Jordan Michael Jordan is still celebrated, still talked about today for his infamous flu game. When he played with either food poisoning or a flu, they don't know, everybody, there's a mystery. He played with something bad. He scored 38 points. He had this amazing game on June 11, 1997 in the NBA Finals. You talk to somebody that knows basketball, that's a lot of years have passed from that one silly game. And people that love basketball still know, oh, the flu game. Oh, yeah, that was amazing, the flu game. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, Michael Jordan's flu game. Do you know they're still talking about a flu game? 
Can I tell you, if we, would unzip, if we could unzip the atmosphere and peel back, do you know what they're still shouting about in heaven? Amen. And you know what they're going to be shouting about when you get there? Amen. Revelation 5.12 says, when you go up there, they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You know why they're praising him up there? You know why they're celebrating him up there? They've never stopped. You know why? Because he died to complete God's plan. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Oh, he's worthy. He is worthy. He is. You say, wow, you're getting really excited. It's like he's a real person. Yeah, he's a real person. He really changed my life. I was Pharaoh's bondman, and he brought me out to bring me in. If he didn't do anything for you, you don't have to praise him. But if he saved your soul by dying in your place and going to hell in your place, you know what? Thank you. Should come out of your mouth. You know? Praise the Lord can come out of your mouth. Do it. Try it. I'll go home, shut the door, send everybody out, put the dog to sleep, and just say, praise the Lord. See if it doesn't do something for you. He's worthy. Go to Revelation chapter 1. I got on a thing. Revelation 1. That was not in the notes. Revelation 1. Man, we got to get impressed with that Savior. We got to get impressed. He was our prophet, and he's our priest. He was, he's that mediator. Revelation 1, verse 12. Look at this. You want to see Jesus? You want to see him again? Revelation 1, 12. John, the one who leaned on his breast, right? The one that like, you know, leaned on his breast at supper. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool whiter than mine, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, there it is, was as the sun shineth in his strength, and when John sees him as he truly is, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." John had leaned on his breast at supper, but now he hit the dick. He hit the floor. He'd only seen this one time before. He saw this on the mount. He saw a glimpse of it. Now he saw it again in truth. He said, he hit the dick. But I want to show you something. Look what Jesus does. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. Woo! As high as Jesus is, as glorified as he is, as much as he dwells in the light which no man can approach unto, he stoops down to comfort and encourage one of his saints. Woo! What a Savior! What a God! As high as he is, as glorified in heaven as he is, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, still condescends for us. Fear not. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Let me show you some more of his... Let me show you how he condescends. Let me show you how he keeps his hand on us. Hebrews 7. You know what he does in Hebrews 7? That glorified Savior, way up there in heaven. You know what he is? He's now our great high priest praying for us. 
And as high as he is, he's just like John. You know what he's doing right now? You know what his spirit is trying to do for you right now? He's trying to come down, put his hand on his sho- your shoulder and say, fear not. Fear not. I'm praying for you. Fear not. I got you. Fear not. I'm with you. Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I know how this thing ends. Fear not. Fear not. See Hebrews 7, 20, uh, uh, 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. All the Old Testament priests died. But this man, meaning Jesus Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That Savior who's way up there is still got his eye on you way down here. And he never stops interceding for you. That's, that's, a, that's amazing. In case we don't realize it enough, I'm saying it to my own stupid head, that's amazing. Not only did he die to rent the veil and make it possible that we could come to him, he is praying for us when we're not praying for ourselves. He never, he ever liveth to make intercessions for us. Have you ever heard someone pray for you? You ever walked in the room and somebody's praying for you? Ever been in a prayer meeting and somebody prays for you? It's very moving. It's very moving. I've heard stories of like hardened men towards the gospel walking in on a wife and children, praying for them, and it melted that heart of stone. Right? It's very, very powerful how it moves you. Can I tell you right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you right now? How it might move you if you heard his prayers. Imagine if you could hear his voice. Help him. Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. Help her, Lord. Give him strength. Give her strength. Don't let that work out. Let this work out. Direct him here. Direct her there. Do this. Do that. Stop this. Stop that. If you could hear him ever interceding for you, you know what it would do? I think it would lift your spirits. I think it would take some fear away. If he leaned over, put his hand on your shoulder, said, fear not, I'm praying for you. Is it encouraging when somebody says, I'm praying for you? I think, how many times you said to me over the last year, I'm praying for you. My wife and family say, thank you. It's a blessing to know somebody is praying for you. It's always a blessing. Hey, praying for you. It's not trite words. It's not vain repetition. Hey, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. That's encouraging. Hey, how about our elder brother up there? The Lord Jesus saying, I'm praying for you. That situation you're going through that you don't think anybody knows, I know. Fear not. I'm praying for you. The thing you can't voice because it hurts too much, hey, I'm praying about that. That's That's Jesus, our great high priest, condescending to men of low estate. You could, you, know, you could hear God's prayers in the Bible if you ever want to find them. You could see what he prays for you in the Bible, but that's a study for another time. But you ever see about Peter? Whole thing's about to end. And the Lord says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Man, you think, I think that was a, a shot of something in Peter. I know some of you are going through deep water. I saw some of you got some problems and some things and some heartaches and some burdens. I know in a room this size, we've all got them. You know what the Father's trying to say right now? Hey, I know Satan's trying to work you over. 
I know Satan's giving me the left hook, the right cross, the elbow across the face, the knee and the gut, but he's saying, hey, hey, listen, I have prayed for thee. I'm praying your faith doesn't fail. I'm praying you just don't quit. You know what? That's supposed to put a little strength in your soul. Meditate upon those things. Go to Mark chapter 9. Go to Mark 9. Hurry with me, please. Hurry, hurry, hurry. All right, just a couple of stops left. Mark chapter 9. Let me show you this transfiguration one more time. Mark 9. Mark 9. Mark 9, verse 2. Mark 9, verse 2. Mark 9, 2, and it came, and after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leaneth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto him Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So Peter, he always put his foot in his mouth, right? So he sees Moses and Elijah, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Let's let's make three booths, and we can all just stay here. And Peter made a he made a, a no-no. Because he put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Let's make three tabernacles. And God shows up because, wait a second, God, God moves the clouds out of the way. And God says, I just, I just want to make it very clear that Jesus Christ is in a class by himself. <laughs> this is my beloved son. Hear him. All right. And uh, there is, I want to say this just for everybody here or watching at home or watching eventually. There is no other savior. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nobody else on a level playing field, not your priest, not any preacher, not that program. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you're not saved here today, there's only one way to be saved and your sins be forgiven. Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross plus nothing, right? The Father says, you want to roll up Mary or Buddha or roll anybody up and put them on equal level playing field with Jesus Christ, you might get a cloud roll in from heaven and say, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Now, if you're not saved, that's for you. But if you are saved, can I also say, there is no one else you need to pray to but our great high priest. I don't need to pray to St. Anthony to find my lost keys. I don't need to pray to St. Jude, all right? The one the Beatles sang the song about. No, I'm only kidding, right? I don't need to pray to uh, uh, whoever it is, right? The St. Blaze, you know, to fix my throat or whatever it is, you know. No, I'll go right to Jesus, thank you. (laughs) I don't need to go pray to a big black rock in the middle of the East. I go to the rock himself, Jesus Christ, and I pray, right? I got access, when you got access, you don't need to talk to the underlings. I go right to the, to the Lord himself. That's the way he made. And in verse number seven, if Jesus Christ is our great high priest, God the Father wants us to listen to him. Amen. He says, hey, he's doing all this for you. Hear him. Matthew 17, five says, hear ye him, meaning I want all of you disciples, because those are the only ones that went on the mount. I want all of you to hear the son. Are you listening? You're giving him an audience? He cares about you. He's praying for you. Are you you, listening to what he has to say? Only three disciples on the mount heard it that day. I wonder how many disciples are paying attention today. 
can you really be a disciple if you're not paying attention? Go to 2 Peter. We've got two stops left. 2 Peter, then John to finish up. 2 Peter. 2 Peter. <clears throat> 2 Peter 1. Bear with me a little my folly here. 2 Peter 1. Here's the last account of the Mount of Transfiguration. And I want to show you what Peter himself adds in here. 2 Peter 1, 16. 2 Peter 1, 16. The Bible says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. He's talking about the mount. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture. (laughs) He's saying, I was there. I heard the voice. But just in case you want to hear the voice, you've got God's Word. He says, I heard the voice with my ears, but you want to know it's really reliable? That Bible you've got. That scripture you've got that's written down to be preserved for all of us to have. God says, if God's word is more sure than God's audible voice. You know what Peter says over there in verse 19? You best pay attention. He said, ye do well that ye take heed. You better take, uh, pay attention to what that Bible is saying. It's not a fairy tale or a storybook. It's not some dumb shepherds wrote something 2,000 years ago. It's the words of God. You don't think so? Try them. Prove them. Search it out. You'll find out. You'll see. But you don't want to give it a hearing because you know deep down the skeptic knows that he's going to find out it's the truth. Finally, go to John 12. We're going to end in John 12. This last one's short and sweet, and it just puts the cherry on the top of the whatever I've just been serving up here. John chapter 12. Mud pie. I don't know. John 12. He spoke once from at his baptism. He spoke again at the Mount of Transfiguration. And God spoke from heaven the third and final time after Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. John 12, verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found the young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ enters Jerusalem at the end of his earthly ministry. And please notice in verse number 15, he enters as a king. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the coming king. Now, verse 28, we're a little bit now, after his arrival in Jerusalem, you see in verse number 28, a voice speaks from heaven after he's come to Jerusalem as a king. And in verse number 30, look what Jesus says. This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. He's talking to everybody there. And Jesus Christ makes it clear that this voice was for everyone to hear. Why? Because he's the king. And everybody's got to hear the king. You see, at his baptism, we know for sure that John the Baptist heard the voice from heaven because Jesus was coming for the nation as the prophet. 
right? To give them their, his word, God's words. On the mount, a few disciples heard a voice from heaven because Jesus Christ intercedes for his disciples, right? He's not doing that for the world. He said, I pray not for the world, but for them that would believe on me. That's who he's praying for. But when he comes as king in John chapter 12, he looks at the whole crowd and says, you all heard that, right? That's all for you, right? Because when Jesus Christ comes as a king, everybody's going to hear his voice. So I say, this is a preview, gang. Get ready. Get ready. Because everybody's going to hear his voice from heaven. Hey, if Jesus Christ is the coming king, wouldn't it make sense to hear him now? Amen. Wouldn't it? Amen. Is Jesus Christ your king? Amen. I know you've made him your savior if you're saved here today. Amen. But have you made him the king that sits on the throne of your heart? Amen. That's a little different thing. Some people get saved and they just walk on down the road. They call a prayer prayer. They walk on down the road. But it's another thing to make him Lord, to make him king, to take yourself off the throne and put him on the throne. Is he on that throne? You know, September 30th, 1974. I was not alive yet. But September 30th, just in case you keep in numbers. September 30th, 1974. Elvis, you know. Something wrong with my lip. You know that Elvis? Elvis, you know. Elvis Presley at a concert in South Bend, Indiana, very famously corrected a fan who was holding up a sign that said, Elvis is king. And he said, oh, oh, oh thank you, darling. And he, th- you know, he, said, you know, he said, I, gotta, I just got to stop with all the, hey, whoa, whoa. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. Because my hips start going, I'm going to get, you're going to give me something else to get rid of me with. But he stops this girl and he says, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do all this king stuff. Because he says, Christ is king. And, and, and Elvis Presley, it's recorded. You go and listen to him say it. And uh, it's very famous. And you know what? It's a blessing that he said that. And, and, and the world heard a great profession with his lips. But we saw an awfully sad testimony in his life. Died on the throne. A heart attack on the toilet, right? The king died on the throne from all the drugs and all the junk and all the stuff he'd done to his body. And it's sad. I, I don't know. Elvis made a great profession with his lips. But his life said another thing. And I wonder today, my brethren, how many of us profess, say amen, acquiesce, agree that Jesus Christ is king with our lips, but we're still living like we're the king. We're still living like we're in control. We're still living like we call the shots. No. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord. That means you got to bow your heart to him every day and say, Lord, you're the king. It's a nice profession. And maybe someday they'll capture your soundbite. You know, when you're doing your famous concert somewhere and you'll say, oh, no, no, Christ is king. But you know what they're really watching? Your life. He's coming to be king of the world. Is he king of your heart today? Because, you know, when God does something by threes, he's trying to show you something, saints. And God spoke from heaven three times during Christ's earthly ministry. You know what he's trying to show us all, I think, out of it? That his son is the biggest deal. His son is prophet, priest, and king. His son is everything. 
His son is the one that gave you the truth. His son is the one that gets you to God. His son is the one that's coming to rule the world. I think God showed up at those three moments to just announce those three offices. You saw without a shadow of a doubt that the son of God, Jesus Christ, is all and in all. That's who he needs to be. I wonder, are you listening? Are you taking heed to the prophet who gave you God's words and said, I'd only tell you the truth. I am the truth. Are you coming to the priest who died and rose again and is up there right now interceding for you at this moment? Have you come to him with your needs? Come to him with your prayers? Come to him with your fears? Come to him with your worries? Come to him with your burdens? He died for your soul. Won't he help you with your life? And how many after, how many of you are submitting yourself to the king who's coming to rule the world someday soon? Are you letting him rule your world? You know, the father made a big deal about Jesus Christ in each of these instances because all three of them, here's the secret, all three of them concern Jesus Christ's death. All three are about his death. You say, huh, his baptism? Uh Uh-huh, his baptism. His baptism is a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. There's his death right there. And on the mount where Moses and Elijah were talking with him, what were they talking about? They spake of his decease. They were talking about his death. And in John chapter 12, after he enters into Jerusalem and he's talking about being glorified as king, you know what he's talking about? He speaks about a corn of wheat falling into the ground to die. His death is what made him such a big deal to the Father. His death is what earned him the right to fulfill those three offices. And his death should make him the biggest deal to you, saints. Hey, if my son died for you, you better believe I'd keep reminding you he's a big deal. Right? Wouldn't you? The Lord Jesus Christ should be the biggest deal to you because he died for you. Is he a big deal? Could he be a bigger deal? Tomorrow, could Jesus Christ be a bigger deal? Could it be a bigger deal this afternoon? Could you make a bigger deal out of him this week? I didn't say go hand out tracts. I didn't say that. I meant in your heart. Could he be a bigger deal tomorrow? I'd like to make him a bigger deal tomorrow than I did today. You know what? I got to keep reminding myself. You know why you're a big deal, Lord? You died for me. You may not always give me everything I want because I don't know what I need, but you died and went to hell and back because you know what's best for me. I hope you make him a big deal. Last verse is John chapter 14, verse 23, and then we'll pray. John 14, verse 23. John 14, verse 23. John 14, verse 23. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Listen, if you love the Savior who laid down his life for you, you don't need another voice from heaven to hear what he's telling you today. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for you, for you to make him a big deal in your life. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer. I'm wondering if I get the musicians to come down too. Can I get... Can I-